Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, good morning, everybody. I, too, want to welcome you, whether you're here in person or joining us online. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I want to hype Alpha myself. If you are at all interested in that, you don't identify as a Christian, you're asking questions or at least trying to figure out a little bit more about the Christian faith, we'd love to have you out to that group. It's a safe place to ask questions. Uh, my favorite thing coming out of that is not only the, the wonderful conversations that we have uh, in those times, but, but developing relationships, friendships that last, last or can last far after that group. So if you're at all interested in that, or you have a friend that you think might be interested in that, we'd encourage you to, ha- to bring them out. We'd love to include you in that. Well, as Cindy mentioned, we are starting a new series today. We're calling The Future is Bright. The Future is Bright. And I like to think of this as a bit of a hybrid series because on the one hand, it's meant to be kind of uh, uh, meeting a felt need. It's a bit of a felt need series in that when you look around the world right now, if you read your news feed, you can think, if anything, the, wor- the, wor- the future seems to be not so bright. I shared about a conversation I had with my mom uh, not too long ago about how I mentioned just kind of casually, oh, have you heard like, what's going on in the world? Isn't it terrible? And she said, oh, yeah, you mean the fires? I said, oh, no, those, uh, that's terrible, too. That's not, what, that's not what I was thinking about. She said, oh, you mean the, the hurricane? No, no, not that one either, as, as terrible as that is. And we just kind of went down the list of all these tragedies, and neither of us had on top of mind this, like, this low-hum, chronic illness of a pandemic that we're all experiencing in the midst of all of it. It can feel very much right now as if the future is not bright, but in this series, when we look to the scriptures, we see that in Christ, the future is very bright. So it's a felt need of a series, but it's also a vision series. Uh, We're getting ready to approach our fifth year birthday, as Cindy just mentioned, and we're really excited about that. That's next week. If you're joining us online and you're comfortable coming out, that's the week to come. It's going to be really fun. We're going to do it right. Lots of stories, lots of of excitement. 
But this time of year, we also try to remind ourselves what we're about and what we feel like God's called us to, to be and, and, and be about in this community that he's placed us in. And so what I thought we'd do is, again, what Cindy mentioned earlier, is look at some of these classic texts, at least to us, down the years that we haven't looked at uh, recently, to remind ourselves what God wants us to be about. And what we see here in this text, we see here in verse uh, 11 of Jeremiah 11, is God promises to his people then, and really also today, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The future is bright. And we are called as followers of his to embrace that, to live from that, but also to extend that to those around us, to to be a bright light where God has called us to. But the the reality is we don't always do that. Uh, We don't always do that so well. And what this text, I believe, suggests to us, this text here in Jeremiah 29, is one of the reasons why we might not embrace this, extend this bright future out to those who, who, who are around us, could be for the reason of not being terribly thrilled with where we live. And that's an interesting thought. Because here in this text, God was telling his followers to be a bright light, to embrace their, their future, while they were going into the great city of Babylon, which we'll get into in a minute, none of them liked at that time, let alone they were there as exiles. So how much more ought we to embrace this wonderful hope and future that God has for us, let alone extend it to those around us here in the Silicon Valley. So we're going to talk about the challenges of this call that God has for us if we're followers of his and, and the beauty of it. So let me, let me pray and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for such a rich text that even though it was written uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it is, is very relevant to today. Uh, would you please give us your spirit? as we consider what, what you have in front of us. Thank you for all you've been doing in the life of the church as we, as we uh, you know, a week from now, uh, God willing, celebrate our fifth birthday. Uh, really, we hope that that time, and, and, and starting today is really, if, if, if anything, just a real uh, time of, of gratitude and uh, a praise that we offer to you for how good you are and how good you've been to us. But Father, we, we do believe the future is bright, and not only for ourselves, but for those that you've called us to be a light to around us. So, Father, would you help us consider these things as we turn to your word now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, where we pick up in the biblical narrative is the Jews had been taken into exile. Here in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, they had been taken into exile. And the context for this is for years and years, really for centuries, they had been turning away from God and his ways, living in rebellion is how the scriptures talk about it. And so God, throughout these years, sent prophet after prophet to say, hey, come back to me. You know, come back to my ways. And year after year and time and time again, each of these prophets, the people basically responded saying, yeah, thank you, but no thank you. We like our own ways. And they just would do their own things apart from God. Well, God kept sending prophets. They kept saying no to God, essentially rebelling and just doing their own thing. Well, eventually God started to send prophets with the message of, if you don't turn back to me, I'm going to remove my favor from you. And what's going to happen is one of these, you know, very many uh, uh, warring nations is going to come in and conquer you, take you into exile. And still the people of God wouldn't turn back. Well, eventually God did, by the time of Jeremiah 29, allow King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians to come in, conquer them, take them into captivity, into exile. And what we have in this text is something that all scholars, whether Jewish scholars or Christian scholars or secular scholars, all see as just completely unprecedented and incredible. Uh, 
uh, very surprising to, to, to many, completely unique in that in this message, in this time, God said to his people, I want you essentially to work for the good of your captors. I want you to live for those people that you probably don't really like right now, who are making your lives hard. I want you to live for the good. And, and a lot of these scholars are saying, this is just crazy. It's totally unprecedented in ancient literature that the message would be live for the good of these people who've conquered you. But this ought not to be surprising to us. Uh, if you've been here at Current for a length of time and we've, we've considered this, you know that going back to the original calling that God had for his people, he always said from the very beginning, I want to bless you. You can look at Genesis 12 where he says this to Abraham and, and from, through Abraham to all his people. I want to bless you in order to bless others through you. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And here God wants them, his people, to be a blessing to Babylon, even Babylon. Now, there are a lot of bad cities in the Bible. I mean, just cities that are known for being evil and wicked. You got Nineveh, you got the Canaanite cities, the Amorite cities. I mean, just cities that just did terrible things. But you know what? Babylon tops the list. Babylon was just the, the, the worst of the worst. In fact, the Bible saw Babylon so bad that it, it basically would talk about Babylon as the personification of evil. Babylon no longer exists today. It actually stopped existing in biblical times. But even still, when you get to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 18, the last book of the Bible, uh, it's pronounced, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, when finally Jesus comes to restore everything. It's saying, Babylon's no more. Evil has been conquered. I mean, that's like Babylon, okay? And all historical evidence, whether biblical or otherwise, shows us that, that Babylon was definitely just, just terrible, terrible. For instance, it was run by this just egomaniac of a king. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he, would, he at one point set up a 90-foot monument that he said you had to like bend the knee to and pray uh, toward, and if you didn't, you were killed. And then he also did things like at, when he had dreams, he'd have uh, seers come, and not only... Uh, come to interpret the dreams, this king like figured these seers were probably like pulling his leg and just like coming up with a random interpretation that he didn't know whether or not to verify was true in terms of its interpretation. And so he said, I don't want you just to tell me the interpretation. I want you to first tell me what it is I dreamt last night, then tell me the interpretation. And if you don't do either of those things, you're dead. I mean, that's just the guy he was. Their educational system, we know, essentially taught occultic practices. Uh, culturally, they just assimilated everybody completely into them. If you, if you didn't become like them, they were done with you. Spiritually, religiously, if you didn't fall in line with the state religion, which, by the way, could change on a whim, you were killed, uh, either sent into like a lion's den or fiery furnace or otherwise. Babylon was just bad news, as bad as it, get, as it gets. And yet, God was saying to his people, I want you to seek their good. I mean, it's incredible to consider. And we're going to break down what that means and what that looked like and what that ought to look like for us today. But let me just start with posing the question, how do you feel about the Silicon Valley? You know, how do you feel? Like, it's not Babylon. But do you ever, maybe functionally speaking, you probably have never thought of it this way, but functionally speaking, thought about it in terms of like living in exile? Anybody? I won't, I won't ask you to raise your hand. Right? I mean, it, it could be true. Look, look at what God calls them to do to Babylon, what he calls us to do wherever we are. Verse 7. He said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city of, uh, uh, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city 
in which you're placed, essentially. I mean, I think functionally speaking, we can think of living in the Silicon Valley, some of us, as living in exile, as a place, oh, I just can't stand living here. It's terrible for these number of reasons. You can list them off. Probably top of that list for many of us is the housing environment. Like, you know, the, the lack of housing and the cost of housing is just insane. Anybody ever complain about that? Again, yeah. Uh, the, the, the politics, whether regional or local, the schooling and the pressure it puts on the kids, uh, you know, the pressure that's here in the Silicon Valley, the culture, maybe the kind of the more self-promoting nature of it, maybe that kind of rubs you uh, the wrong way. Maybe the lack of generosity when, even, when it's very quite rich. Uh, spiritually speaking, maybe it's hard for you, especially if you're a Christian, and it's hard to kind of identify as a Christian in this place because it's, it's, it's the way it is. I mean, there's any number of reasons we could see living in Silicon Valley as like living in exile. Cindy and I, when we lived in China, uh, we over, overall just loved our time there. I mean, just wonderful people, history, culture. I mean, you just name it, the food. It was just overall just a wonderful time. But I remember there was a distinct season when we were there that we were hanging out with a group of friends, a group of expatriates, and we'd go over to one of their houses on a Wednesday night and we would do small group Bible study together. But I just remember in, a, in this distinct season how just like 80% of what we talked about probably more, just like 80% of what we were just casually talking about was how terrible our time in China was. And you could just list off all the reasons. I mean, every, somebody at some point was having visa issues. Somebody at some point was probably having stomach issues. That probably had more to do with their own food selection choices or my food selection choices. I mean, it was just any number, lacking creature culture, uh, creature comforts that you're used to, you know, homesickness, you just name it. But there's just kind of the spirit of like bitterness about being there. And I remember there was one time, one night, when uh, one, of, one of my buddies in particular in that group just kind of hit the pause button. He said, hey, guys, you know, I've been like, listening to our conversations for the last little bit, myself included. He said, I realize that so much of what we talk about is just complaining about where we're at. It's just so much of it is just like how life is just so hard here. It's like, and he said it this way. He said, it's as, it's as if we're like living in exile here. He said, but we're so not living in exile. And even if we were, that wouldn't warrant us to complain and be, you know. And his conclusion is like, man, we're missing out if that's our thought, if that's our process, if that's our thinking. And so church family, regardless of how you be, feel about the, the Silicon Valley, first of all, it's not Babylon. <laughs> but even if it were, God loves the Silicon Valley. And God loves the people of the Silicon Valley. And he wants us to be his light here. He wants us to extend his, his love and his wonderful, bright future that he makes available in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that God loves everything about the Silicon Valley, even as it's clear in the scriptures that he didn't love everything about the, Babylon, uh, the, the, uh, the city of Babylon. But he calls his people to seek the good and prosperity of the place in which they are placed. It reminds me of one of Jesus' uh, very famous teachings in the Sermon on the Mount when he calls his followers to be salt and light. He calls us to be salt and light. And the thing about salt and light is, is it has to be two things, excuse me, they have to be two things in order to be effective. Number one, they have to remain different, salt and light, and they have to be present. So first of all, salt and light need to remain different. That's to say if salt isn't chemically different than the meat, it's like, you know, acting to preserve or, or season. It doesn't serve any good. It doesn't do any purpose. And light, if it's not different from the darkness around it, well, by definition, it's not light. But then salt and light also have to be present. That is, if salt is off on its own, you know, still in the salt shaker or off in a pile, it's not doing anything. It's not, it's not any good. And then light, if it's only around light, 
it, what, what good or use is it? God's aim for you and me is not to assimilate completely into any given culture. And that clu- includes here in the Silicon Valley. If you're a follower of his, you and I are called first to be followers of his, to remain different, which means in any given culture, there are things about a given culture that God and his word will commend and appreciate. There'll be things that are wonderful that Christ followers are called to lean into and, and pour fuel on that fire, so to speak. But then there will also be, in any given culture, things that God and his word speaks against, challenges, and wants his followers to be agents of renewal in. But if we're not present, if we're not living to be a blessing in the ways that God calls us to, what what blessing are we in this sense? How are we agents of of this bright hope and future that God wants to extend through you? And so the question I want to ask you is, what has been your heart posture towards the Silicon Valley? Whether you've been here for a short while, whether you've been here for the longer term, what's been your heart posture towards the Silicon Valley? Has it been kind of this idea of living in exile? And if so, how, how, would, how would God want you to hold that? How would he want you to see that? What would, what would it be like for you, if that's the case, to have, have a change of heart? One of the things that kind of hit me in my study this week was maybe, if that's us, maybe it's asking God for, for, uh, for a heart posture of wanting to seek the prosperity and peace of this place. Maybe it's just asking God for the desire to love this place the way he loves it and asking him to give us a heart that seeks the peace and prosperity of the place where he's placed us. And, you know, that's a thought we need to kind of emphasize here for a second, where he's placed us, where he's placed you. And we see that here in the text. In verse 4, it says, The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, which is to say, while Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians kind of played a role in taking the Israelites, the Jews, into exile, it's God ultimately who allowed it to happen. He's the one who ultimately placed them there. Why? Well, we covered part of that. I mean, part of that was just because they had been turning away from him for so long and he was just trying to get their attention when he would ultimately bring them back. But then part of it too we see in this text is God wanted to love the Babylonians and through them start loving the world in, in new ways. This is a verse that we looked at a lot in this last uh, Art of Neighboring series that we just concluded last week, but it says in Acts 17, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from any of us. It's the same principle here in Jeremiah 20 and 29. You are not here by accident. God has placed you, placed me here. He doesn't just preordain our our days, as the scriptures teach. He preordains where we are and where we spend them. And he wants us to be blessing where we are, to be an agent of his bright future. For that generation of God's people, their assignment was Babylon. Friends, our assignment is the Silicon Valley. And you know, in comparison, that's kind of a sweet deal. Theologically, I don't know what I'm saying there. You know what I'm saying. But it's, it's a, I mean, there's nothing to complain about in a certain sense. It's a wonderful thing to step into. You think about how remarkable a place and how remarkable of a time where we are living right now. It's incredible. The amount of innovation here. A few years back, I did more research on this, and I found that within essentially a 10-mile radius from where we are about right now, there are over 1,000 high-tech headquarters. 10-mile square radius, over 1,000. As far as diversity goes, there's over 36% of the population, this is a few years back, it's probably more now, who are foreign-born, 
over 50% of the population speaks a language other than English at home. It's just incredible. There's world-class education here. Students are coming here to Stanford, San Jose State, Santa Clara U, even the, the community colleges are, are just really incredible here, which means as people from across the globe are coming here for worldly opportunities, we have opportunity to reach them for Christ and with his love, to reach them for eternity, to be here, dot, for good, as we've said in the past, to have lasting impact in our community, meeting tangible and spiritual needs. But don't miss this. We can easily become ineffective and miss out on this if we take ourselves out of the game with a mindset of, oh, I'm living in exile. Just focusing on how hard it is, how bad it is here, and, and missing out on actually the wonderful opportunity and invitation that God's inviting you and me into. All right, so how do we go about this, okay? Uh, we see here in the, in, in, uh, the rest of this text where, how he just kind of lays this out, how we're supposed to go about this. And the way I would like to kind of just word this is to be rooted. We're called to be rooted. Look at verses five and six. Build houses and settle down, God said. Plant gardens and eat what the Babylonians produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Just this first thought is kind of funny to consider in our own times. It says, build houses. I mean, you can't really build houses here, right? There's no more land. If you talk to anybody, you know, who's lived here for decades, you know that it used to be all orchards, essentially. Now it's all townhomes, okay? There's no more, there's no more lands. We can't take that seriously. Some of us are saying, forget build. I can't even afford to own. It's hard enough to rent. But I wonder if this text were written to us today here in this context, if it would read something like this. And as I've placed you in the Silicon Valley, be okay with renting for longer or with buying something a lot smaller than you could otherwise afford elsewhere, for living more communally, for being closer to your neighbors than you might otherwise choose to be, maybe not having a backyard. Don't let these be determining factors. Let my work and what I'm about be. And I'll fully confess to you guys, I, I'm, I'm under the same thought. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard, hard to think about. I mean, one of the things we've been thinking about, I, I mentioned that little backyard thing. It's like not having a backyard in the pandemic has been hard in the sense of not being able to love and care for people, have people over like, like we want to do or whatever. Christian friends, when you are making big life decisions, what are they driven by? Are they driven exclusively by what's best for me and my family? Or are they driven by, God, what might you be doing in this? What might you be up to, calling me to be about? I might, I might not understand it all, but is, are you giving a clear sense of direction? By the way, if sometimes God wants to do what's best for your family or what you think is best for your family, it's not to say that those things are mutually exclusive, but is God and what he wants and you seeking him, is that a driving, determining factor? Or is he more of a footnote? You know what I mean? Like after you make the decision uh, in your own thinking to then go, and, and God, would you please bless these decisions? We've had, we have friends who've been uh, at Current since the living room. Since the living room. They originally, they were living out in, in New York a while, a while back and uh, work brought them out to the Silicon Valley. And I remember uh, talking with them early on. They were, they were kind of struggling with that, trying to figure out how God was calling them to move and what what 
you know, uh, what he wanted for them and, and, and all of that. And they were struggling with it in a sense because they just left New York where there was a wonderful, you know, vibrant church they were a part of doing wonderful things in a place that's known for being not terribly easy to live and all that sort of thing. They're, they're wrestling with that. And then, you know, years later when we were processing like what God had been doing uh, in, at, at Curran and, and, and here in the Silicon Valley, even, even, you know, a few years back when we were having this, this next conversation, they were saying, oh my goodness, and now we see that God was bringing us here to help start this church. That, that churches are needed in a place like the Silicon Valley as much as in a place like New York City. And man, when I had that conversation with them, and I just think about that even now, it's like, man, to, to consider what God has done because of them, through them, and what, what it's made current to be today, let alone like the spiritual fruit. And that's just one story of many that's represented here. As many of you have kind of rolled up your sleeves and been like, okay, Lord, I think this is what you're doing. I think this is what you're calling me to be about. Let me, let me be a part of this. It's been a, it's been a fun ride. It's been incredible. But you know what's the, the deal here? The Silicon Valley, let's level set, can be and is often a challenging place to live. It's expensive. There's a lot of competition. There's lots of stress here. It is a challenging place to raise kids, or at least comparatively speaking in certain senses. But it's also an incredible place with incredible opportunity and all the rest of it. But it, And we're seeing God do amazing things in the church, through the church, in the community, but none of that will happen if not for God raising up people like yourselves to join in committing to being rooted for whatever length of, of time that God would have you here, a city on a hill, a people living on mission together here in this Silicon Valley. And to those of you who've been with us for a while, you know it's, uh, you know, it's hard to think about this without getting, getting too emotional. You know it's been an incredible ride, what God has been doing, looking, looking ahead, considering what we, what we hope and pray he's getting ready to do. For those of you who are new to the area, especially those of you who moved out during the pandemic, man, we just have a special place in our heart for you because that's hard to do to move out here in the pandemic when it's especially sheltered in place and you know it's hard to find community you're isolated you're trying to connect you can't connect and all that sort of thing first of all we want to say a warm welcome to you and secondly we want to say and jump in because the water's warm love to have you out i mean i you know I i was talking to a friend this week and saying, like, you know, for some of you, it's kind of like when you chose to move out to Silicon Valley, it was a huge leap of faith. It reminds me of, like, when I did college ministry at, at Cal in, in Berkeley. Every year, without fail, there would be at least one student who would tell us that when they told their home church in another part of the country that they're going to UC Berkeley, that the elders said, all right, we need to hold a special gathering, a prayer night, to have you come in. We're going to lay hands on you as we send you off into the belly of the beast. Like, no joke, every year, that was like some form of that happened with a, with a freshman coming into the church that we were a part of. And you know, that's Berkeley. This is the Silicon Valley. You know, this is the Bay Area. But God is doing tremendous things. It is just as true today here as when the Lord said it where he was, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And we humbly believe that some of you are a direct answer to that prayer. We look to link arms with you and serve and do what God has called us to do, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city which he has placed us. You know, if I could take a stab at trying to like boil down what I think this, this text, these two verses, at least five and six are saying, it seems to me that over and above success, we ought to seek to serve. 
Now, real quickly, God is not against ambition. I know there's a lot of ambitious people here, but we're not saying that God's against ambition. But if our ultimate aim is worldly success, at one point, Jesus says, you can gain the whole world, but what does that come to? But if we seek his ways and what he's called us to do, which includes seeking the peace and prosperity of the city where he's placed us, we are talking about living for eternity. Things that will never fade, things that will, that will last. So we are called to be rooted. And the things that we're called to be rooted for have to do with eternity, which leads us to this last thought, and that is how this all ties into the gospel. How this all ties in to the good news of Jesus Christ, because this ancient text is singing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is it doing that? Well, let me just ask the question. How are we to do any of this? <laughs> I mean, these thoughts are fun. They're inspiring. They sound good. Seek the peace of, of a, and, and prosperity of a city that you know, might be hard for us, let alone like a Babylon. Like, that sounds nice, but seriously, how are you and I going to do that? How are Christians going to be committed to doing something so radical? Well, it's because of the gospel. <laughs> we do this because this is what Jesus first did for us. Jesus left his heavenly palace, his throne, all the peace and prosperity and spades that he had there, infinitely so, to come and be in our world and essentially to live as an exile. Do you know that's actually part of the Christmas story? That Jesus lived in exile for a a time? If you you look at Matthew's account, I think it's chapter 2, you know, at one point, his mom and dad, Joseph and and Mary, uh, take baby Jesus in the middle of the night to avoid genocide and they flee off to Egypt where he's raised from a, from a little guy. He's living off in exile for a while. But what's more is the gospel is far greater than that, is on the cross, Jesus essentially was exiled from his heavenly father. And that's why on the cross, he uttered the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one of the few times that God, uh, Jesus referred to God as, as God versus his father. He was, he was banished from his presence. He was living in exile. What for the but for the rebellion of sin. For the people of God in these ancient times when they said no, no, no to his ways, for those of us living today as we live in our own rebellion towards him in any number of ways. He there on the cross died for the sins of the world, experienced being cast out, living in exile, that we might never be cast out presence. And so in a sense, Jesus on the cross left ultimate peace and prosperity in order to give us ultimate peace and it's the- and because of that, we can offer that out to others. We receive it and we make it, it available. And, and friend, if you're here today and you've never received the good news, the gospel of Jesus, what he did for you on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, a restored relationship with him, today is the day you can make a faith, to follow, uh, faith decision to follow him. In fact, if there's anything else you hear today, it's this. He says, for, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Or in verse 11 of our text, I have plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future which was infinitely greater for you and me today than it was just to the people of God back then. How so? Because when you think of that in the context of the gospel, it's talking about an eternal relationship restored with God the Father. A future hope, eternal hope, bright hope in him. You can receive that today. That's what this is all about, what Jesus did for us on the cross. and You can receive it as a free offer. And then to those of you who have received him, you have received this wonderful call to not only embrace this wonderful and bright future that he offers, this hope, it's a call also to hold it out. And the question we have today in front of us is how can we lean into that? 
How can you lean into that? Two quick practical thoughts. We've, we've talked about this in a few ways. I want to, as we talk about seek the peace and prosperity of the city, two, two more quick practical thoughts. Number one, notice that it's a whole family endeavor. Look again at verse six. It's talking about marrying and having sons and daughters, finding wives, having kids, and all that sort of thing. It's interesting that that's a whole family endeavor. And I'll be real, one of the hardest struggles for me and for Cindy in all of this has been trusting God and seeking the prosperity of our city with our kids in the, in the local school, local elementary school. That's a wonderful school. It's very diverse social, economically, ethnically. It's the whole, it's very diverse. There is one and a half white kids in my daughter's class. She is the half uh, white. So it's, just, it's, you know, I walk onto campus and I hear just as much other languages as I do English. And economically, it's, it's, it's a slice of the, of the community. It's, it's wonderful in those senses. But in another sense, like on paper, it's not the best of schools. And on the playground and, and, and in terms of like curriculum and all that sort of stuff, Believe me when I say there are plenty of challenges. And, and the, the reality is for, for me and Cindy, it's like when we have to seek the prosperity and peace of, our, of the city, that, hey, there's challenges there and we're, we're not stellar at it. You know, we need God's help in that. But it's especially hard for us, at least, to trust our kids to that work and seeing God work in them as they are light in their, in their place and with the amazing friendships that they're making and the opportunity that's helped us develop relationships in the school and all that. We don't know that school choice will always be how our family feels led to live out loving our city. We, we feel that it's God's will for us and calling right now in this elementary stage and we're trying to place it all together, excuse me. But what does seeking the prosperity of the city look like for you? It's a whole family endeavor. And by, and by the way, I, you know, I'm stressing kids here and I know kids are mentioned in this text. It's not just talking about family in, in the nuclear family sense. It's also talking about family collectively in a community. This was spoken to a community of people. So as, as, a, as followers of Christ, as, as, a, as a church family, we are called to, to lock arms and, and do this together. What would that look like? What, what does that mean? As, as, we, as we commit to this together. The other second practical thought as we seek the, the prosperities is to see here the mandate of prayer. Notice in verse seven, it says, pray to the Lord for the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here's a question that convicted me this week. So I'll return the favor, put it before you. When was the last time you prayed for the city of Mountain View? For city of Sunnyvale, Palo Alto, San Jose, wherever, wherever you might be. When was the last time you played, prayed, if you're a Christ follower, for the Silicon Valley? It's interesting to me that verse 7 is not a suggestion, it's a command. Pray to the Lord, the city. That's, that's part of our ministry. That's part of our holding out the wonderful hope and, and, and light that God's given to us. You know, it's, it's really interesting. The prophet Daniel lived at this time as well. You can find his, his uh, book a few later after, after Jeremiah. But he lived at this time, and he's a great example of one of the Jews living in exile in Babylon, trying to figure out how to kind of navigate all of that, because it was really hard to like be a good presence in the, in, in, in the community, in the culture, but not to just give in to everything, and like, how do I do this? And it's a wonderful example of that, but one of the things he refused to give on was prayer. At one point, Nebuchadnezzar put up this monument and said, you must pray to it. And Daniel said, all right, that's, that's something I can't comply with. And you know what's interesting? It, it never occurred to me before, but it's probably, at least in part, because Daniel had these words from God through the prophet Jeremiah that had been read to the exiles. Pray for the city. Which, think about it. it could, 
that could very well suggest that as Daniel was praying in that story and ultimately taken off because he was praying to the lion's den where he was thrown into the pit, he was in that moment praying for his captors. We're called to pray. And why is there this mandate of prayer? Why does it matter? Well, of course, it's because if any of this is actually going to happen for the sake of eternity, for the sake of actually having impact to the extent we're talking about, it has to be through God doing his thing humbly through us. And so prayer has to be a part of that. We've got to be thinking and praying for the place where we are. And maybe that prayer, again, to go back to it, is praying, God, would you give me a heart to want to pray? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. How can you be rooted where you are? How can you be a bright light embracing and extending this hope, this wonderful future to those around you? What could this look like? Maybe it's having your neighbors over for dinner outside. Maybe it means spending a little extra time with, with your coworkers after work. Maybe it means getting there early to talk with some of the, the other parents of, 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 the, of your, your daughter or son's classmates before they pick up their, their, their kids. Maybe it's helping us as a church here on Sunday mornings do what we're doing so that we can have the home base to do what we do out in the community and, and, and here on Sunday mornings, joining a team. There's any number of ways, but how can you be rooted where God has you, seeking the peace and prosperity of this place. Uh, any of you guys been to Golfland in Sunnyvale, the miniature golf place? It's awesome. Uh, my son, I have so many memories there already. You know, my, my little guy hit his first hole in one. I think he was, where's Cindy? Was he three years old or two years old? I'm having a little dad pride moment. Um, but, you know, he's real little, and, you know, he just hit it, and it happened to go in. It was just, we have it on video. He's jumping up and down. It's just, we have a lot of wonderful memories. We've done current events. We've done his, you know, birthday parties there. We've, uh, my parents had their first uh, date there. Uh, you know, they've now been married over 50 years ago. Isn't that incredible? It's been there for a while. We have uh, a friend here at Current who is telling me, he grew up in, in the Sunnyvale area, which is, where Sunny, uh, which is where Golfland is there on Wolf and um, El Camino. And he was telling me, he knows kind of the backstory. It's, it's family owned and operated, this miniature golf place. And he was telling me there isn't a week that goes by that this family isn't offered multi-millions of dollars for that plot of land. Like millions and millions of dollars, like insane amounts. And actually, we were driving by it yesterday, and there's another hotel that just went up right next to it. It's like, if, you've, if you haven't been since the pandemic, you'd be like, well, it looks different. The place that's, this, that's a picture of the Silicon Valley. Everything's going up. But this one little family-run run operating, you know, golf land has in its vision not to sell it, even though they could make bank, because they want to be a little bright spot for the community, for couples, families, friends, to escape all of that from time to time and have a little bit of fun. Make a few memories. And I think current family, in a similar way, we're called to be a light. We're called to be rooted in this area, not just for the temporary, but for the eternal. And I don't know about you, but that gets me really excited, let alone to get to do it together. How can we be rooted in this place where God has placed us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we read texts like these and we consider them, but really, underneath it all, they're, they're a beautiful picture of your love for us, how you left your throne, your prosperity, your peace in ways that we can't even imagine to come live in exile, to go on the cross and, and die for us, taking the penalty of sin in our place that we can receive forgiveness of sin. Is there anybody here, if there's anybody here today, I pray that you would give them the give them your invitation to that they would receive, put their faith in you, even now. And Father, for those of us who have put our faith in you, would you 
Would you equip us with, with your love, the love that you first gave us, to really love this area? And if for some of us that's a struggle, Lord, would you give us the desire to desire that love? Father, would you help raise up a church here that is rooted? We're thankful for this church. Would you help us be an increasingly, in, in greater degree, a city on a hill, extending your hope, your bright light, the future that you've given in Christ eternally in him and in your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.